Happy Thursday, everyone. This is Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Hello, my darling pop culture junkies. We are back. I am here with my dear friend and amazing journalist and now really, let's be clear, best-selling author, the writer of the book that has just come out. It is incredible. Everyone must buy it. It is Taylor Lorenz, whose book, Extremely Online, The Untold Story of Fame, Influence, and Power on the Internet, is here live with the book out. Hello, Taylor. Hi, how's it going? How are you? Good. This is, this is like launch week, right? You're in the midst of it. Like the Literally. Book is out. Yes. And I know how busy you are. I am so glad you're here. We want to talk about it because um, everybody has been seeing bits and pieces of the book come out. You have had unbelievable reviews. There have been, you know, portions of the book that have been published. Everyone's talking about it. This is not Taylor's first experience in being the subject of everyone's discussions and at the focal point of everyone at this moment in time in pop culture. But in this case, this is one that's welcomed, I hope, Taylor. I know you've been on the receiving end of some brutal attention, generally from uh, the far-right conspiracy theorists. But this time, the attention is on you in a wanted way. And that is because your book is killing it. So are you ready to talk about that? And But before we talk about the book, I want to talk about some pop culture stuff that's happening right now. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> well, so guys, I am just on the heels. First of all, I haven't even written the newsletter yet. It is Monday. We are in the time machine. We are getting Taylor, who is incredibly busy on a book tour and a launch. Um, so we're getting her at a very busy time. And so we only were able to do it on this Monday. I haven't even published the newsletter yet. By the time this is out on Thursday, the newsletter will have also been published. I am recovering from the most extraordinary weekend I've had in a, quite a while. And that is from Las Vegas looking, if you see, follow me on social media. You can look through all my videos. Um, but I saw you two open the sphere, which is the new venue space, uh, in Las Vegas attached to the Venetian. It is a sphere. It is literally like a globe, like think Epcot center, but 2023 futuristic, the entire outside are screens. You can project anything on it. The entire inside, other than the 17,000 seats, which are incredible. The screen is all the way around the sphere and the ceiling and all of that. It is remarkable. But Taylor question, I don't know if you're aware, but I have become an influencer overnight. Did you see I it? saw your viral TikTok. <laughs> Babe, do you want to know what number we're at right now? And again, this is Monday, so I'm expecting it to really grow. I, I'm. Do, do I start making money now? It says that I have, <laughs> let's see, 346,000 views on one of my TikToks. What does that make me? Does that make um, me, am I a creator now? What does that you're make a viral, You're a viral superstar. And do I start, like, am I now a TikToker, like, officially? Because I've done TikToks You got to ride the wave. I've done TikToks around potato with eyelashes. I've done ones where I've shown myself as a 16-year-old. You know, no one gives a fuck. But I did a video with zero context, with zero writing, with zero narrative. I just did the video of one of the uh, sets from the U2 show. And people really liked it. And the and the U2 
I think the greatest thing for you two in the sphere this weekend has been the viral sensation it's become because you're seeing videos all over TikTok, all over Instagram, all over Twitter, just take off. And in a mo in a world where you two has been around for, you know, decades, this is new to them. It, the only way people would hear about concerts being amazing, regardless of the technology and visuals was word of mouth or reviews. And now we live in a time where people like me can promote a band that they love in one 16 second video that is now seen by almost the size of Kansas City. So that's pretty crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really crazy. I would like to start. I'm going to have to get an agent, a manager. Like you're <laughs> going to have to talk to my people to talk to your I'll connect people. you to the right people. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited about that. But in this, you know, Taylor, I want to talk about what's happening right now because another massive viral moment that is happening is the sort of collision of two worlds, two superstar worlds. And that is the Taylor Swift world and the NFL world. And we are now in a second week cycle of the madness. Last week's podcast and newsletter was definitely dedicated to Taylor and Travis Kelsey. Taylor was seen at Travis's game last week. It became the focal point, not just of everybody watching, but of actual the NFL themselves who, who leaned in. They changed all their social profiles to acknowledge Taylor's presence on all of the sports leagues, like the Major League Baseball and others leaned into it, asking their players what their favorite Swift song is, whatnot. And we had it again, so it's been confirmed. Taylor is clearly in a relationship with Travis Kelsey. She was there last night um, on Sunday night in the suite again, this time for the Jets game, a New York game. People with her were Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, Sophie Turner, an entire posse of Swifties. And it's all in. It's all on. Everybody was going crazy, including the NFL themselves, I guess NBC themselves, which secured the rights of Taylor's song, the New York song, and in the promo, in the introduction to the game, had the Taylor Swift song playing, a huge sort of excitement for the Chiefs coming to New York, and then the video ended. This is the kickoff to the game. This is like you're watching it on NBC, and it's kicking off. You've all seen the sort of intro videos, and it closes with the Travis Kelsey video last week of him looking up at Taylor in the suite and seeing her in his suite and breaking out into a smile, which also went viral. So you're seeing these viral moments that sort of come out on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, whatnot, unfold now into mainstream media. So Taylor, what are your thoughts? I mean, this sort of plays perfectly into the whole premise of your book, Extremely Online, where we're seeing sort of these things pop up overnight, huge, huge influence and power that's now sort of dictating mainstream media and their reaction to it. Is that sort of what you see happening here? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think it's just another example of how the internet drives culture and everything. And um, I mean, I, I almost feel like just the real world, like the game and everything is almost just a stage for, you know, internet commentary and memes and, and all of this stuff. Um, I think it's hilarious. I mean, I, I also think like Travis Kelsey, I didn't realize this, but he had like a dating show as well. I didn't know this either. So I learned out that like dating Travis Kelsey or something was like a full on reality show that was quite yeah. well watched. Yes, that's it's I, I can't remember where it aired, but like people really 
are invested in this man. He's got a lot of charisma. Like, he has his kind of own fandom as well. And obviously, he's super known in the football world. So I think it's just like the clash of the worlds are so funny. Also, Taylor Swift fans are like the most, I don't want to say conspiratorial, but like, you know, they will find any sort of clues for about anything. And I love how they've like found old song lyrics, like Taylor talking about like dating the guy on the football team and they're relating it to him or that the fact I think his jersey number is like 13 and she's his 13th boyfriend or you know all that stuff yeah I mean I don't know I I know or I think his jersey number is like 87 I don't know he was born in 89 but her is his there's so many easter eggs and so I was actually just writing about this Taylor because there is now some conspiracy theories that the Swifties have figured out that this was not like a two-week relationship, that this has actually been going on for some time, that maybe even Maddie Healy was a distraction, that this was not real a real relationship, and she and Travis have been together for some time. There's a video out where it shows her in a T-shirt months ago, but she it's only the, like, collar of the shirt, but the colors are the same as the Kansas City Chiefs shirt like the the and this so is what now. i'm saying they've and they have so many i know and they're like millions of views on these videos and they're they're tying all of these lyrics together and they're making it seem that like this it's been a joke right travis kelsey says he went to a taylor he and his brother have an unbelievable podcast the kelsey brothers are incredibly famous there's a, a big trend going around this week where women are trying to get their husbands and brothers or fathers really, really worked up by being like, it's so cool that Taylor Swift like made this guy Travis Kelsey famous. And everyone's like, the guys are like, what are you fucking talking about? But it is true. Taylor Swift is famous on a different level. She is a global sensation. NFL is huge in America. And a lot of Americans know who Travis Kelsey is. But you would be hard pressed to go to another part of the world to, to ask who these people were. But Travis Kelsey on his podcast over the summer had had revealed to his brother that he'd gone to a Taylor Swift concert and had made a bracelet with his phone number on it, a friendship bracelet with his phone number on it to give to Taylor, but unfortunately didn't get the opportunity to do so. Now, a lot of fans are saying this was all like fake, that they'd actually been together. This was all sort of a tongue-in-cheek inside baseball, sort of wink-wink, nudge-nudge to a couple that have been together for quite some time. So, Taylor, what like how... Does the culture of like 16 year olds making videos sort of translate into then mainstream media and what people are talking about at their dinner tables? Yeah, well, it's definitely not just, you know, 16 year olds making videos either on the Internet. Like, I think that we live in this whole content creator driven ecosystem. And I mean, Travis Kelsey himself is a creator. Like he's got a podcast, you know, like I think that just increasingly you're seeing people creating digital media, putting it out, and it's driving the mainstream media news cycles. But I think actually the fact, it's so funny, I've just been seeing the reaction to my book, and it's like, just all these people like, oh, what has the content creator industry ever brought us? It's a bunch of teens in their bedrooms. It's like, no, this started with Gen Xers, Gen X moms, if we're being honest. Like, yeah, so mommy let's bloggers. get into that. So, you yeah. know, what's so interesting is reading through your book, there's some, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say this so everybody can hear. I'm kind of sad that I wasn't in there, at least as a reference, because so many people in that book, I'm like, oh my God, I launched, when I was running Brew, we launched so many of these companies. We launched Next New Networks, which was, um, you know, you, you talk about it, Fred Siebert and Tim Shea and all of those guys. And we launched Maker Studios, which I remember people were like, what is, what are you talking about YouTube content and all of this stuff? We were 
there and I mean I the fact that I lived through like I was in that moment of Julia Allison and all of that and in New York and Gawker Brooke and you lived it all I, I know it is I crazy. can't even remember all there's of it there's so many like I mean you there there is a lot of people I, I can't remember I think Ben Rellis has mentioned once there's there's a bunch of people that were like highly highly influential that are like like there's just so many people to mention and I was already accused of name checking too many names I am book, totally but, kidding I'm just but you like, it would have made me, the only reason why I wish I was in there is because then I would be like, oh my God, it's real. This really did happen. I was really there in the middle of all of this, watching it unfold, you know, being at parties and gawker parties with Julia Allison and watching cameras roll around. But I'm a Gen Xer. I was there at the beginning. I, I was there at the beginning of the internet, the consumer internet. I feel very much involved with this. Sometimes I regret how much we've promoted technology to where we've gotten to today in the Elon world. But I'm a Gen Xer. And you talk about sort of, I love, let me just go through you guys because it's so interesting and then we'll talk about it. But really the, the, the way Taylor sets this book up is it really gives you a fucking unreal understanding of how we got to today from where we started. And it started with blogging and then that moves right into what she was just talking about. We're going to get into mommy bloggers, which became massive. And I sort of missed that boat because I wasn't a mommy and I wasn't really paying attention. But um, then you get into the whole friend world and that whole sort of, you know, social network, if you will. And then you had YouTube and, you know, that whole generation that missed YouTube and didn't really see it. All of a sudden people started to create their own stardoms through YouTube and those creators started to sort of become their own celebrities. And then you have Twitter, then you have Tumblr, then you have Instagram, then you have Vine and Vine ended up being like this moment in time. I remember being at South by Southwest and getting the news that Vine was being shut down by Twitter after they were acquired. It was crazy. Then we have, I mean, we have the Instagram and then TikTok and then the rise and fall. I mean, it is unbelievable. And you think about the short period of time this has all happened. Let's start. Mommy bloggers. Like, holy shit, they were really the genesis of where we are today. Yeah. it. I mean, they literally, like, mothered the Internet. Um, I love it's, it. It's kind of crazy. I mean, they were the first to really, like, build personal brands and also just change the media. I mean, let's not forget the things like struggling to breastfeed or postpartum depression or just, like, not always loving your husband. Like, these were all highly taboo topics in women's media earlier on in the, the 90s and the aughts and, and before. And it really took these women turning to the Internet and generating audiences to change the conversation around motherhood. And... Um, right. Because I think incredible. about there were these magazines that I loved, but like Sassy Magazine, Jane Magazine, all thanks to Jane Pratt. They were the first like really different kind of magazine that gave girls a different outlook on things. And I think those were the magazines that probably birthed the mommy bloggers because it gave well, people. They weren't. Yeah, they just weren't for mothers, right? But they like, weren't those for were mothers. No, but I'm talking yeah. about we were teens. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you were teens. That yeah, sort yeah. of changed the brain because we had been all like, you know, everything is great, women being a woman and mom and wife, da 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 da. Then yeah. you started to see these edgy sort of magazines come out that helped us think differently. But still, they weren't for moms. There was no magazine that was where everybody got their news and information talking about the struggles of motherhood and the struggles of, you know, being at home with your husband and getting bored or getting tired or struggling with any of these things. So that's when the birthing of mommy blogs sort of gave everybody a new outlet and audience, if you will. 
And did that change the way, did mommy blogging then change the way that mainstream like magazines and so forth started to approach their own audiences? Did you see anything Completely, it changed everything. I mean, it basically made those places increasingly irrelevant. And I don't think those magazines adopted very well. Some did, but most didn't. I mean, you see some magazines, and I talk about this in the book, it's not just about moms, that's just an example. This applies to literally every single faction any content you can think of, right? Food media, uh, fashion, beauty, sports, entertainment, news, hard news. I mean, I talk about the bloggers and uh, Josh Marshall and sort of how he broke the news around. Uh, he, he broke this big political story, basically, that, that all these White House reporters had to then, or uh, congressional reporters had to chase. I mean, you just saw time and time again, people on the internet kind of pushing the bounds of mainstream media, because mainstream media applies, you know, even today, the mainstream media and the traditional media speaks to old, rich, white men. That's it. It's, it has a big problem with speaking, speaking to sort of more diverse audiences. And so you saw these people on the internet building new audiences, speaking to young people, speaking to women in a, you know, you know, more authentic way, speaking to people of color, speaking to basically people that were just sort of shut out of the mainstream. And that was sort of the defining that that was what the internet did for for like the you know beginning. I think now more recently it's gotten more dark and warped by algorithms and platforms and stuff. But in the beginning yeah. it was joyful and fun and silly. it was really liberatory in the beginning. Yeah, and it allowed you know and it was funny because there was a whole you know they looked at it people I guess mainstream saw it as a subculture right. They're like oh these even like, now, but. That's yeah. so crazy to me when it's dominating and even it's is not something that happened just because of TikTok. I mean, this was long before TikTok. Brooke, it's it's crazy to me. Even I mean, I the Washington Post the person that reviewed my book, the Washington Post said something like legacy media and legacy celebrity has more power than ever. And I was just like, what? What? Do you live in an alternate reality? Like I, I think a lot of people are just fundamentally in denial and they don't realize, I mean, they just don't wor- realize What's happening? They don't they don't recognize the world. They they live in their own little mainstream media bubble and they just do not see what's going on. Our celebrity aristocracy has never been stronger. Uh, the public looks to online creators for entertainment but does not consider them important sources of art. What? Like What? That's from the Washington Post? Yes, that's from this person. By the way, Taylor smart. Lorenz works at the Washington Post. Yes, and by the way, the the guy who wrote this, I'm actually excited to read his book, and he's he's actually really smart. I follow him online. But I, and so no no hate to him. I just think that this is how a lot of older, I don't just say older, but maybe an older mindset of people view the world, where they don't, they fundamentally don't recognize that actually the internet is where art is born today. That is what it is. is. And it promotes art like in a way. I mean, if Nicole Kidman were to do a TikTok right now about how amazing U2 was in Vegas, it would be like, okay, it would sort of feel promotional. It wouldn't no feel normal. Wouldn't yeah. feel... I just put up a video, I, me, an unknown sort of person, certainly on TikTok, put up a video just of my experience. And I can't tell you, I mean, 350,000 views, everybody in the comments, people are pinging me. I have received hundreds and hundreds of messages in different platforms of people saying, I've just bought tickets. I've just bought tickets. Like, that's an incredible thing. That is power of influence. And that is ultimately then helping with more art because ultimately the YouTube show at Sphere is art 
that was an entirely new experience of art. And you're not getting it from, there were so many celebrities there. I mean, there was Matt Damon, there was Jeff Bezos, there was Oprah. But that's not what no, made it a phenomenon. None of what it made, made it, it the phenomenon. phenomenon exactly. Is the internet. And also just, I just have exactly. to say too, it's not just like old school artists like you too. I'm talking about internet driven art, internet driven sure. creativity. Like that's what I'm talking about. Stuff that's born from the internet. And there's this notion that, oh, the internet is not a place for serious art or for serious journalism, right? Or for serious people. That's so wrong. It is everything. Like, is that and because it just, it's just the people that are saying that and who sort of dictate the airwaves of mainstream media? I hate to say that, not a right wing term, but just mean the regular news, whether it's Fox yeah. or CNN yeah. or NBC or the New York Times. These are generally people my generation, I'm Gen X or older, who never got their heads wrapped around it. It's sort of funny, like you look at these, there's a meme going around this weekend of a Vogue article from the 60s. And it was just a, a diet for housewives to lose weight. And in that diet, it says that you start with, you eat for breakfast, one hard boiled egg and a glass of white wine. Lunch is two hard boiled eggs and a glass or two glasses of white wine. And then the dinner is like a sensible dinner with, you can finish the, the bottle of white wine. That was what was real back then. And it was dictated by a different mindset. And that sort of, it feels like those people who wrote those books about drinking white wine and eating jello molds are the same people telling us what is culture right now that and they're the ones that don't understand the internet the power and not something that just happened yesterday this has been building since I mean what year are we talking about when things really took off I mean I think things that it's been a progression and my book sort of charts that progression right I think there's been these pivotal moments and I talk about it of kind of like the consumer internet emerging and and these the power of users on these platforms sort of reshaping them in, in various ways. I do think that the pandemic, I mean, my book sort of ends in 2021, 2022, but sort of like the pandemic pushed everyone online and I think forced even Silicon Valley who derided this industry for years. I mean, in 2021, they finally had to pay attention for it to the fact that they came up with a new term, creator economy, to distance themselves from all the negative stuff they'd said for literally 20 years about influencers. Who created um, the term creator economy? Do we have an actual source? It's, it's a Silicon Valley thing. Because I just think of me. like the unicorn we can attribute to Aileen Lee, who- No, 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 there's nothing Ventures. like that. Okay. There's, there's a, people had used that term to speak to other stuff. Creator was that term, I mean, creator is an old word, sure. but creator was in its modern usage, um, pioneered by Next New Networks. Uh, they renamed YouTube Partners, which is what they were originally creators. called. Creators. And by the way, I was in those messaging sessions. I was there yeah. with Herb Scannell, Fred Sieber, Tim Shea, where they came together to really reinvent this. They they were all old school media, certainly Herb Scannell and Fred from mm -hmm. MTV and all of that. Um, and they recognized that these these now what they called, they termed creators, were the ones that were dictating content and that, you know, really people needed to know where to find them, how to find them, whatnot. So from Next New Networks to, you know, Maker Studio, it's unbelievable to see where we are today. And we wouldn't have Pop Culture Mondays or Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays if not for this. Pop culture has been around for a long time, but pop culture in terms of setting a narrative for the mainstream is why Pop Culture Mondays was initially there because if and we use Baby Yoda as the theme in the newsletter because it really started around then. All my friends in different variations, whether they're busy moms and, and running media companies or whatnot, were all of a sudden being thrown these Baby Yoda images in their socials or their kids were talking about it. And they were like, where did this 
come from. They'd missed the Mandalorian. They didn't realize the hype around the show. Disney Plus had not been mainstream yet. Like everybody was trying to figure it out their own. And I was like, I need to explain this. But that was a that was an online moment that trended as a result of going crazy on TikTok, not on TikTok, on on Twitter, really. And and kids coming home to their parents being like, I need baby Yoda. And they're like, did Yoda have babies? What's mm-hmm. happening? What's happening? So you, you, and you talk about, the book is so good. I just can't urge you guys enough to go and buy it. Go buy it on Amazon or your favorite local bookstore, or Barnes and Nobles or whatnot. But where are we now? Like what, where does it go? What we, we have to, I mean, obviously these social platforms exist. Some of them have gone away. YouTube is bigger than ever. I don't know why people seem to think that it's YouTube is ginormous. I know. And most kids get their stuff from TikTok. I mean, uh, from YouTube and then obviously TikTok, but, um, where do we go now? Why, why the darkness? And is there a way to get out of that? Is Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, are they the answer? What, what, what's happening? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that th- why is there sort of the darkness with social media, do you mean? Well, yeah, how it went from being this sort of beautiful moment where, fu- where funny yes. Vine videos and YouTube videos on, you know, yes. sort of your favorite way to. D- and then it got dark. It got dark. Is it is it like the bullying happened? The comments got really mean, like people started. Well, the- no, I no, I think it's the money. I think what happened is money came into it. Um, and people really started to realize the stakes of this. And I think also people started to exploit these platforms. I talk about Gamergate and kind of how it was this um, blueprint for, you know, online harassment and Can abuse. Can you give a quick synopsis of Gamergate for those listening who might not remember yeah. or know that? Gamergate was a um, misogynistic harassment campaign against women in the video game industry meant to drive progressive women out of video gaming spaces. And it was um, championed by a lot of far-right influencers um, and content creators. And what they did is really exploit the media. Like, they they sort of leveraged the traditional media's ignorance of the Internet and um, tendency to take things at face value uh, to to drive women out of the media and the gaming spaces and terrorize them. And that has basically been their blueprint to this day. Um, what year by was these, that? I can't even remember. That was 2014, uh, 2013, 2014. Okay. I can't so we're talking ago. like 10 um, years ago. A decade ago. 100%. I think it was 2014. Um, a decade ago. And the me- mainstream media has learned absolutely no lessons from it. It's It's terrible. I mean, they still give credence to these bad actors. And I think that we need to not do that. And and unfortunately, they're always going to do that as long as they engage in this kind of both sides journalism, where they kind of equally weigh bad and good opinion, instead of just telling people the right. truth, which is what the media should do. It's like they kind of buy into these bad narratives because they generate engagement or whatever. And I think, I, anyway, I think Gamergate was negative. I think Trump's election really showed how these, uh, you know, platforms can be weaponized by political actors and i think the money in the space also just like it got dark money corrupts so taylor just i want to finish off by you know talking about you personally because i my business has been i have worked with i have had the privilege of working with journalists for my entire career 20 Oh my God, you guys, 27 years I've been doing this. So I crazy. Don't believe that. You look how, so young. How is that crazy? How is that even possible? 27 years. I mean, my first job in PR is in 1997, 1996. It's so crazy. But um, I've had the privilege of working with journalists, and journalists have, in that, that, that term has changed quite a bit. But initially, it was sort of, we'd call it print 
media or broadcast media or radio media. And that was, you know, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Forbes, and obviously the internet magazines like Industry Standard, Red Herring, Fast Company. And then you had, you know, radio and broadcast. And then as as the internet's evolved, online media, which was sort of poo-pooed initially, if you were writing for online, like I remember if you had an interactive at the end of your, like wallstreetjournal.com or yeah. like whatever, something interactive, people yeah. were like, you weren't real. They didn't, you know, none of my clients would want to be in that. They print only. That has obviously evolved. And now we have podcasters and newsletter writers and, and obviously that it stemmed from blogging and so forth. You have people who are not trained journalists become journalists or voices, whether they have, you know, huge audiences and whatever platform they've chosen, you are a journalist and you have been, you, you've had an amazing career. I've watched you. I've known you since before you were in journalism and you were doing other things in the online media space, but you are now a, a very well-respected journalist and you've had stints at the New York times. You're at the Washington post. You have this book, you yourself have been the subject of unbelievable attention online that has then gotten into mainstream media, whether it's Tucker Carlson or whatnot, calling you out. You know, th that happens to some, like the Maggie Habermans of the world who've covered Donald Trump exclusively and other journalists. But you, Taylor, are an internet culture journalist. Where did this come from? How did the sort of, especially the right wing crazies, come to put you front and center in this battle? If you yeah, will? I think that my my work has gotten very politicized in recent years. As as we were talking about, you know, these dynamics increasingly affect our political system. And I think that I, I write about online attention. So people, uh, you know, I've always gotten a lot of online attention from the jump. Like I wrote about YouTubers, they respond, you know, like that's always been the case, but it was always this sort of like secondary entertainment ecosystem that the traditional media didn't touch. Suddenly COVID comes around and you have um, everybody online and almost everyone in my spaces, like online spaces, paying attention. And I think the traditional media suddenly started to like cover me in a way. I mean, you had people like Oliver Darcy at CNN amplifying people that were men that were involved in Gamergate, boosting Gamergate and the, one of the leaders of Comicsgate, you know, these just boosting them as, as reliable sources on my journalism. That's how inept and uneducated people like that are about the Internet, that they're just quoting these like random trolls. And it's like I think they're doing that because suddenly they're online and they're like, oh, people talking about Taylor. A lot of people are talking about Taylor Lorenz. It's like, yeah, a lot of people have been talking about me for years. I cover online influence. Right. Like, but it's, it's also inherently sexist, and it realizes that we sexist. see it. I oh. mean, it's 2023, nothing's changed. They go after and your looks, which you're gorgeous. Oh, they go after your about... age. There's that mm -hmm. whole thing about how you are supposedly way older than you are, which is so... It's so which is so funny because, Brooke, here's the argument with that. Sorry, I just have to say yeah, a, a say couple it. more things, which is like, you know, I was throughout my 20s, and Tucker Carlson started, because Tucker Carlson thought I was younger than I was. Um, oh, well, there, okay. And he started so by Tucker saying... Yeah, but he started by saying I was too young to work at the New York Times and I'm a silly little girl. And throughout Ugh. my 20s, you know, people were saying I wasn't a real tech reporter and I'm too young to be writing about these platforms and da 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 da. The minute I turn 30, I'm too old. And I just think this is constantly the case with women. There are no, there's no right age for to be a woman in tech. You're either too young and you're sexualized and you're seen as a silly little girl, or you're an old hag, you're over the hill, you're bitter because you're in your 30s yes. now, right? As if being in your 30s Wait till you're old. 49. I mean, the amount of comments I get of like old lady are like, you know, you're too old for the internet, you're too old for... Meanwhile, we've got Walter Isaacson and every other male tech columnist, you know, writing into their 60s, which totally, but... 
you know, just yes, we have real. lots of men. Let's be clear: the leaders of this country are, for the most part, are the are ancient men. <laughs> and also, the men leading these tech companies. I think Mark Zuckerberg is a year older than me, or two years, or three years older than me. But like, the point is, is like, men can literally run and lead these companies, and nobody says that they're too old and out of touch to be dealing with technology. Yeah. But though, and that's where I write about it. And I find I fall into those tropes too. And I was accused of it by when I criticized uh, Linda Yaccarino as the CEO, quote, air quote, CEO of X, formerly Twitter, in her interview last week, which got a ton of attention. And I will talk about once we wrap up with you, Taylor, but we'll talk about in the newsletter as well, was the uh, train wreck of an interview that she gave at the Code Conference. And she was interviewed by the remarkable Julia Borston. But it really pained me to even be in that room. And I was actually in that room with a couple of female CEOs who had to walk out. And they had to walk out because they said, this is terrible for us. This is such an opportunity as a female to be the CEO of, of a very prominent company in the social space and the technology space. And she's blown it. She's done every cliche in the book. She came out. She was unprepared. She was, you know, dressed a certain way. I mean, all of these things that I hate to even point out because of women, but yet it became front and center as a result of it, you know, sort of a backfiring. And um, it's just circles. It's just circles. And there's a lot more work to do. But you, back to you in your book, it's a remarkable timeline. It was... I needed to drink during it because I was like, how the fuck? Why didn't I write this book? Why have I not been capturing notes? My mom used to tell me to write everything down and I did not listen. I was like, I'll remember everything. This book was triggering for me in the best of ways. But I was like, oh my God, I was there. I was in that room. I was at that party. I knew that person. It is unbelievable. For those who don't know, it's even more fascinating. It will, it will, it will, I don't know. It leaves you wanting more. It left me wanting to know, like, what's next? I mean, Taylor, you're going to have to write the sequel to this in another five years, I'm afraid to tell you, because there's going to be, I mean, the speed for which this stuff is changing. Where where are we in five years? What do you think the platforms look like? I'm not asking you to be a, a crystal ball. Obviously, we don't have one. But just based on your instincts, where do you see it going? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I, I mean, the reason I sort of wanted to write, um, a, a book about, you know, or the reason I wanted to write the book that I did, um, I guess, at this time is because I felt like we're ending this chapter, this sort of, or like we're entering the second phase of social media. And I do feel like the first 20 years of the social internet, like with COVID, kind of like there's definitely a turning point. Now we have Elon taking over Twitter. I think that platform's going away. We just have a, we have a lot of like influx and change happening now. And I don't know necessarily where things are going to go, but I do think things are moving more into private communities. Group chats are taking off. Like people don't, don't want this default public and default permanent, you know, feed of, of social media content. It's like you more just want to connect with the people that you want to connect with. I also think we're seeing the rise of things like AI take off and, re, you know, reshape the tech landscape. So I, you know, I, I write about technology from the user side and I will always continue to write about the user side of, of tech and software and how the internet is facilitating connection. Um, but I don't know that I'll like I do feel like that we're in a changing time. We're in I guess. a changing time. I can't wait to have you back on and we talk about the next thing because I do think people want smaller. We used to have big. It was like the power of the reach, and now it's like I just want you know. And it's funny because there were those communities like Ning and Path back in the day that were just so ahead of its time because that's exactly what we want. These sort of private social networks for just our community where we're safe from the outside. I do think that's where we're heading. But the companies that launched 15, 20 some odd years ago. 
were just way, way ahead of their time. They needed this to happen in order for that to be the reaction. Well, Taylor, I know you're pressed. I, we're going to talk about once we're going to send you off and then I'm going to just finish up with everyone on some of the big stories of the week. But I know you're so pressed for time because of your book tour and your launch and all of the things. But I'm so glad that you did this. We'll end with what was your favorite revelation? Was there something that you discovered in writing this book that you just were like, like that aha, like you had no, you didn't figure out until you started writing it? You know, this isn't a revelation, but I can't express enough how misogyny, like how much misogyny there's been on the internet. And I know I'm a bias because I'm a woman and I've experienced so much of it myself. You're, but, but you've like, experienced it. So but it's... like, but Brooke, it's really crazy how this entire half a trillion dollar content creator new media landscape has been built and pioneered by women. And even today, it's disrespected because of that. Even today, you have these men saying, oh, it's just, you know, hot ladies taking selfies and that's, you know, silly pranks on the internet. It's like, you fundamentally don't respect this content creator ecosystem because it was, it was pioneered by women. And I think if it was pioneered by men, we would have a radically different understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be it would get a lot more mainstream respect. So let's, like, you heard it here, guys. You women listening, whether you yourselves or your daughters or your nieces or your friends, just get them building, get them doing this. We need more women out there creating and you know they've been amazing so far but we just need more of it we need to dominate taylor i love you i wish you the best everyone we're going to keep talking about a few more things but i'm going to let you go because you got to go sell this book and make it the number one sensation that it needs to continue to be yes everyone please please buy the book we'll have a link in the notes extremely online the untold story of fame influence and power on the internet most of you who probably are buying it as you listen so i love you darling and i'll see you very soon thank you that was fun we're letting taylor go because she has a book to promote as i said and i wanted to finish up with you guys and talk a bit more pop culture things that have been going on. Just a reminder, we'll have a link to Taylor's book in the show notes. Please buy it. It is really, really good. I just can't wait for the sequel because I feel like she got there and there's going to be so much more, as I said, in the next five years. We're just going to have to keep updating like an anthology, if you will. Okay. The biggest news story, and I think will dominate this week, I'm sure something else will happen, but is, again, Taylor and Travis. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, as I said, they have done it again. She's revisited the Sunday football game. And now there are men out there thanking Taylor Swift because their daughters are super into watching football. Like, check this TikTok out. I am so excited. My girls are finally interested in watching football with their dad. This is such a big deal for me. I mean, how cute is that? My dad would have loved it because my dad was always trying to get me to watch football with him. I'm like, Dad, stop. You can't do it. I can't listen. I would fall asleep listening to the announcers talking about, like, it's another... I don't know, 50-yard line. I I just remember hearing the sounds, but I had no interest. But if I had, if I was a 12-year-old and Taylor Swift was there, I'd be like, when's Taylor Swift's game on? And and girls are losing their minds. And I think it's really, really cute. And I think it's really great. And that's it. You know, go check out the newsletter for all of the amazing videos and just a lot of fun stuff in the newsletter. So go check it out. I'm gonna end with my Mary Makeout and Mute. Okay. So I am gonna make out with the entire group of Irish friends of mine, everybody I was with over the weekend 
at um, the Sphere opening in Las Vegas. That's like, I just, I don't mean that in a sexual way. I just mean in like the most friendly, like love circle way of all of the affection that I have for everyone that I was with. I mean, getting to see some of my oldest friends and getting to be just with some of the greatest brilliant minds like Paul and Kathy and Susan Hunter and Jerry Harrison and Shan. And I mean, the, the world goes on and on. I could name drop all day. I just want to envelop them and kiss them all. It was just a remarkable weekend to see so many friends. I've known some of these people, I honestly, for 20, more than 25 years, they've seen me grow up. So it was, it was fun. I would marry the sphere because that would just be fun. I'm just going to marry it. Like you light up my life, baby. You a different experience every single place you sit or stand. It was beautiful. It was well run. Every single person in that venue was so nice. I mean, the ticket people, the 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 merch people, the food, the drinks. I mean, it was incredible. I can't say enough. Like I know Jim Dolan is public enemy number one in New York. But kid done good. Kid done good. Really, really well done. I hope it stays. Um, I will mute. This is a tough one because there's just so many things out there every day, every week, every year. But I would say, again, Space Karen, going to the fucking border, wearing a cowboy hat backwards, which was to me the funniest thing. I didn't even put it in the newsletter because he doesn't need any oxygen. But he showed up at the border in Texas to sort of like while these people are lined up and sitting there and he's talking, this guy who has zero reason for being there. I mean, sure, if you're not a politician, go there and help. Go there and be an active member of like, how can I help? How can I help make people's lives better? Instead, he's looking at them like they're in a fucking zoo and he's wearing a cowboy hat for no apparent reason. I, first of all, that's his brother's thing. His brother Kimball has always been a cowboy hat wearing guy. It's, that's his thing. Like, Elon, back off. Stay in your lane. Get your own fucking hat. Different kind of style. And then he was like, um, Space Karen was was filmed using some crazy weapons and blowing it up and the right wing love him for it and you know blah 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 it's just I mute all of them I mute I mute all of them and all of the people that came after me and Kara and all of the people due to the Linda Yaccarino interview I mean it's crazy people have too much time on their hands too much hate inside of them uh they can hide behind anonymity they make these threats and you know what you just you're pathetic and so I mute you and that is my choice and that is it thank you guys so much for being here and I'll see you next week Pop Culture Monday. on Thursday